put all that into some kind of narrative or story of your life, you know, the life before all this happened, the life through these traumatic events, and then the life going forward, and try to see forward into a future orientation where you do something with all this that you've gone through so that it gets you somewhere good. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I know, you're going, Brendan, you've been posting a weekly podcast for four years now, and all of a sudden, things are getting kind of inconsistent. We haven't heard from you in a little bit. What's going on? Well, like so many of us, I'm dealing with some family stress and challenges. I'm part of that sandwich generation and my responsibilities and challenges from both the generation above me and the generation below me have left me a little taxed. But thankfully, I've been able to ask for and get help from other family members as well as some friends, and things are starting to look up. So I'm hoping that the release of this podcast will not be disrupted any further, and I want to apologize for things being a little bit messy of late. That said, the next round of the parent coaching groups will be delayed due to all the chaos that's been going on for me, until Monday, May 9th. It will run for eight weeks on Mondays and Thursdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, wrapping up on Thursday, June 30th. Each of the eight weeks has its own theme, beginning with parental self-care during week one, and parenting as leadership in week two. Weeks three and four address familial relationships by focusing on improving connection and communication, respectively. Week 5 deals with the all-important systems and structures. How do we create better systems and structures to more effectively support the executive functioning challenges that go on in an ADHD household? Then, we get to the critical, if challenging, weeks 6 and 7, where we explore and learn to manage anxiety and my trademarked wall of awful model. Then we wrap it all up by talking about how to ask better questions to get better answers and improve executive functions during week 8. The groups are spread roughly equally between content and connection. They're incredibly supportive. They're incredibly informative. I'd love to have you join. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more details, or just send me an email at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Richard Tedeschi. Richard originated the concept of post-traumatic growth with his colleague, Lawrence Calhoun, during their years at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. More recently, Richard has been applying the post-traumatic growth concept in the development of innovative programs for combat veterans and first responders, the success of which is leading to their implementation at a number of venues across the country. In today's episode, I use Dr. Tedeschi a little bit off-label. We're not talking about combat veterans today. Instead, Dr. Tedeschi talks to us about trauma and PTSD and post-traumatic growth, 
but we discuss it from the parenting perspective, especially as it relates to the COVID-19 situation that we all find ourselves in. We discuss how getting clear on our beliefs can help us more effectively navigate this crisis, the importance of taking action, especially actions that help others, for our own mental health, and how parents can help their kids better handle difficult and challenging times. All right, let's get rolling. I taught for uh, 42 years at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, in the psychological science department. Um, I actually retired from there recently. I am now uh, distinguished chair of the Boulder Crest Institute for Post-Traumatic Growth, which is up in Bluemont, Virginia. And uh, what we do there is we have a retreat center for military veterans and first responders who have experienced trauma and have different kinds of difficulties in uh, getting back to uh, a civilian life that's uh, working well for them. We have a program based on the post-traumatic growth model that helps them through that process. Before we go too deep, I want to hit the early concepts that you've already mentioned, just to make sure that the audience is all up to snuff. In a nutshell, I guess, what's trauma? What does that even mean? Well, traditionally, trauma's been defined as a certain kind of event that is uh, essentially life-threatening, um, that it causes fear of physical injury or death, or it's a uh, witnessing of, of death or serious injury to another person. The definitions of trauma have centered around that, but in, in the model that I want to talk about with you, we define trauma a little differently. Um, we define trauma in terms of not an event itself, but the effect of the event on a person. And the particular event that we're interested in is a shattering of the core belief system. It's the system of beliefs that we assume to be true in our lives that we don't really question very much. And we just march on with this core belief system that helps us understand our world and, and how we're going to live through it. So when those core beliefs are shocked by an event and we question these basic assumptions about living life, that's traumatic. So any event that causes us to react that way, we can consider a traumatic event. So we're defining trauma in terms of the effect on the individual. So these core beliefs, just to make, make clear what we're talking about here, these core beliefs include things like what kind of future I'm going to have, the degree to which I can have some control over my life, uh, what kind of person I am, what kind of people I live around, what's predictable about the world, um, that kind of thing. And uh, a traumatic event is one which calls those things into question. Thank you for walking us through that. And also, what is post-traumatic stress disorder? You already mentioned it as it relates to the military and first responders. They're the crowd that we most commonly associate with post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that is and also does it extend beyond emergency responders in the military? It sure does extend to, to all kinds of people who experience events that generate a response which we can think of as a, an alarm response that's out of control. You, know, you have this internal self-protective mechanism um, that is built into us to protect us against uh, danger, essentially life or death dangers. And it's a fear response and it's a ready response. So we get afraid and we get ready to defend ourselves. And in a situation where that has been damaged in some way, that whole system has been damaged in some way, those alarms go off when they're not supposed to. And as a result, we, get, uh, we have a lot of anxiety. Uh, we are reacting to things as if they're kind of 
life or death events when they're really not. And we try to avoid certain kinds of things that are going to set off the alarm that we're reacting to as dangers. We don't want to be around those things and have that alarm go off. So we try to set up our lives so that we avoid the kinds of things that will set off the alarm. We might know intellectually that we shouldn't be afraid of something, but the alarm's going off anyway. It's a physiological reaction and a, and a cognitive reaction. You know, the brain is doing this to us. So we have this kind of hair trigger response to all kinds of situations that evoke memories or associations to events that have um, been the traumatic events in the past, whether that's um, being in combat or that's being um, in a natural disaster or whether that's been uh, being victimized by a criminal. There's all kinds of situations that can evoke these sorts of responses that what's called hypervigilance, where we're really trying to pay attention to where dangers are out there, and avoidance, where we're trying to make sure we don't come into contact with those dangers. And so this, there's a whole syndrome around this that's called post-traumatic stress disorder. That's exactly why I wanted to bring you on the show. You're an expert in post-traumatic growth, which is sort of the other side of that coin where we're coming out of a traumatic incident with learnings and with some growth and some strength. I absolutely want you to talk about that for like the rest of the interview. But before we jump right into that, I want to frame this because we're living right now through what I'm assuming is a traumatic event in COVID-19 and the self-isolation that's happening, the social distancing and all that. And specifically, where I'm seeing this as a traumatic event, certainly it is for the adults, but for kids especially. My guys are 11 years old. I have identical twin sons. They're 11 years old. They're being told they have to stay six feet away from people. They're being stuck in the house for most of their days. There's a good chance that come September, they're going to be told that they should go into a building with a whole bunch of other kids. And it sounds to me like there's a good chance that that's going to trigger a stress response for maybe every single kid that walks into that building and most of the adults as well. So what I'm hoping we can do is learn a little more about post-traumatic growth and figure out some strategies to help our kids and ourselves navigate this global pandemic in a healthier way so that when it eases, we can rejoin society at work, at school, at a summer camp, at a gym, wherever it happens to be, in a way that doesn't feel as threatened. Am I making sense here? You sure are, and I certainly hope for that myself. Okay, so at the risk of just throwing that whole big idea in your lap, <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> well, let me just start saying some stuff, and you guide me through the rest, okay? Sure. <laughs> as far as kids and, and, and trauma, I, I think what's really important for people to keep in mind is that kids follow the example of the adults around them. So if uh, the adults are going to be rattled and unsure of themselves and giving contradictory messages and the like, kids are going to be more anxious. So adults got to get their house in order. They've got to figure out what's the right thing to do, have confidence in that, and communicate it clearly to the children. Uh, then the children will feel more secure. So I'm sure you've probably said some similar kinds of things to many parents in your career, and we have to handle this situation in a similar fashion. So that's, I guess, the first thing I would say. Second thing about the novel coronavirus being a traumatic event and you know the pandemic that's associated with it. Again, the way I define trauma is not in terms of the event itself, but in terms of how people respond to it. So for some people, this is more traumatic than other people. There have been uh, hundreds of thousands of people that have already died, as we're speaking now. And so for the families of those people, this is traumatic, no doubt. 
for people who have gotten uh, sickened in serious ways and have had symptoms that have had difficulty getting through and have been extremely scary for them. Uh, this may be a traumatic event as well. To the extent that these events have rocked people's understanding of the world, uh, this is a traumatic event. So for some people, that's clearly the case. For a lot of us, we can't believe this is happening. can't believe this is happening in our country, or maybe in a place that we've always felt safe. Uh, it's hard to believe that the medical system has not been able to solve this problem. Maybe we have um, shock at how some of our leaders have responded to this and things that they've said. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we might be unpleasantly surprised and shocked about what's happened and uh, start to question what we've thought before to be just accepted truth. In that way, this can be uh, traumatic for many people. There may be some people for whom it's not because they haven't been so directly affected, or uh, what has not been affected is their belief system. Uh, maybe they've been through terrible illnesses before. Maybe they've come to develop some belief system that accommodates this whole event. So they say, well, you know, I'm not really that surprised about this. I, I knew that our medical system was jeopardy. I, I knew some of our leaders were out to lunch, or I knew there was danger to of terrible illness in the world. You know, maybe I was in Africa when they had Ebola, and I've seen horrible things. So, you know, this doesn't really shock me too much. I don't know. There could be People who have had a view of the world that this has not really changed or challenged very much. So the degree to which this is a, a traumatic event will uh, will be different among various people in our in our country and abroad. That being said, I think there's widespread surprise and, and shock at, at what has happened. I mean, I, I think it, you know you listen to interviews or you talk to people in your family and your friends, and I think it's commonplace for us to be saying. A couple months ago, everything seemed to be cooking along just fine, and, and then suddenly, you know, where we are in a very strange situation. So I think it's been surprising and shocking to a lot of people. And therefore, we've had to figure out some way we're going to respond to this and hopefully do so in a way that maybe in the aftermath, we make some changes in ourselves and, and, and how we live our lives in, in our communities so that things are actually better that we learn some kind of lessons of living in the aftermath of this. So for families that are struggling with this, for families that are finding this to be shocking and potentially traumatic, how do the parents want to go about navigating this new situation or really any situation? It doesn't have to be COVID-19, but how do they want to go navigating a challenging situation in a way that is more, I guess, trauma-informed so that we're heading towards post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic stress? You have to come to terms first with what you believe. You have to ask yourself and parents have to ask each other, what do we now believe about ourselves and this world we live in? And get clear on that. Do you believe that this is a world that's out of control? Or do you believe that this is a world that you can, you can deal with? Do you believe that you have some strength or do you believe that you're just vulnerable and terrible things are going to happen to you and you have no say in it? Do you, do you believe this is a benevolent kind of world, essentially, or a malevolent? You know, those kinds of things. So you have to really think this through. You almost have to become a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a philosopher or a theologian and think about what you really at core believe about things. And return to those basics. 
you know, get back to the fundamentals about what you believe. And then share those with your, your kids at, at the right developmental level that they can understand. Get clear what you believe so that you have confidence in, in what you can say about that. And then you can say to your kids, you know, here's what I think about this whole thing. Here's what I think we're going eventually. Here's what I think we can do in this situation. Here's what I think is right. Here's what I believe. And um, this is the way we're going to handle it as a family. So you get clear with yourself first and then you share it. So we're sort of making meaning for what's going on a little bit and also finding ways that we can, I guess, have some agency around the situation. What can we do and what can't we do? And let's focus on what we can do, but also understanding philosophically and and with regard to our values and our beliefs, what this means to us. Well, certainly there are choices in this matter about what you're going to believe and what you're going to do. So you have to figure out what I'm going to choose to believe because there's plenty, plenty of choices about what to believe. People believe all kinds of stuff. So you're going to choose. You know, I don't know, but I'm going to have to choose to believe such and such. And I can't know everything for sure, but I'm going to, I'm going to believe certain things and I'm going to act on those kinds of beliefs because that's the best I can do. So you choose what to believe and then you take actions in accordance with those, those beliefs. And, and taking actions is almost always superior to avoiding things and feeling stuck. So figuring out something to do is always going to make people feel better. And another thing is kind of thinking ahead to what we'll talk about down the road, I'm sure. If you can take actions that benefit other people, it's even better. So that's another way that this can come out right, is if we take actions that benefit not only ourselves, but have a positive effect on other people. And that can be big or small, I'm assuming, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, some of the small things end up to be the big things. One question I have around post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress is, are there any statistics relative to which side of that people tend to fall on when people experience traumatic events and recognizing that you're defining trauma a little bit differently from that? But do people typically come out of challenging events with post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth? Are there any numbers on that? Well, our, our research shows that this is very general, okay? So right. forgive me, Brendan, about, about this. Um, but generally, I would say that you get three times post-traumatic growth compared to post-traumatic stress disorder. That's pretty awesome to know. Yeah. In, in most of our research, uh, when we look at big samples of all kinds of people who have been through different sorts of traumatic events, you know, people report, oh, I don't know, maybe... 50% to two-thirds of our samples report some post-traumatic growth. If you look at post-traumatic stress disorder in certain populations like combat veterans and whatnot, the percentages are, are fairly low uh, depending on how you, uh, what kind of sample you got there. They're usually 30% or under, sometimes as low as you know, under 10%. So even though post-traumatic stress disorder is a terrible experience, can be so debilitating. It's not as commonplace as the growth experience. However, I want to point out something about this. They're not mutually exclusive. A person with post-traumatic stress disorder can also experience post-traumatic growth because the same events that, that fuel the, the disorder and the stressful stress symptoms also fuel post-traumatic growth. So the same kinds of events start the ball rolling towards these symptoms versus the growth. And the other thing I want to say about post-traumatic stress disorder, it's called a disorder, but it's actually the understandable result 
of human beings being overwhelmed, their whole systems being overwhelmed by terrible events. So even though it's called a disorder, we can think about it as not something necessarily wrong with a person, but more about what happened to them. And that's important to understand. Yeah, that is. And the same things that happen to people that cause these symptoms can also set in motion the kind of process that results in post-traumatic growth down the road. Two questions. Go in whichever direction you'd rather go in, I guess. Um, And we'll circle back to the other one later. What are sort of the hallmarks of post-traumatic growth? I guess, what are the domains of post-traumatic growth? And, And the other thing I'm wondering about is, what are some protective factors that help us get to post-traumatic growth and sort of navigate these challenging situations more effectively. Okay, so let me, let me mention what the five domains of growth are that we've uncovered. And we've uncovered these. My colleague Lawrence Calhoun and I kind of started this research many years ago. And we, and we uncovered these first by simply interviewing people who had suffered through some horrific events in their adult lives and had to had to confront these events and did very, very well. Um, so that's kind of got us started on this. But we've, we've done research on many people since. And the five domains of growth are the following. Uh, some people report that they experience more personal strength than they thought they had. So they say things like, if I got through this, I can get through anything. They're kind of surprised at their, their strength in managing their their trauma. A second area is appreciation of life, where people value life and have a sense of gratitude about living life. A third area is better relationships with others, uh, where people value their connections with other people. They feel more empathy for other people, more compassion, maybe more compassion, especially for people who survived events similar to the ones that they have survived. A fourth category is new possibilities, where people have been often shut off from certain opportunities or possibilities in their lives, and they are kind of forced to reconsider how they're going to live or what they're going to do, and they find in these new options for living that they're doing something that's of great value, maybe some ways of living that they hadn't really considered before. And the last area that we've uh, uncovered is spiritual and existential growth, where people start to come to grips with kind of the big questions of living life, the questions of wisdom, like, what's the purpose of all this? How do I matter? Is there a God? What sense does life make given that we're all going to die? Can we live in harmony with our fellow man? All those kinds of sort of big questions that people start to grapple with and uh, find themselves gaining some understanding of in the aftermath of these events. Even just hearing you talk about that, right? Like I was sort of reflecting on the hardest year that I ever had in my life where my mom got sick, my mom passed away, my career as a teacher ended because I was let go from a job and my car burned down on the highway. (laughs) All, All in one year, it was a lot. There was other stuff too that isn't even worth mentioning anymore, but it was easily the hardest year of my life. And since that year, I've seen a lot of growth and, and in every domain that you just shared, right? And I'm, I'm sure that not everyone grows in every single domain and I'm sure. Correct. Yeah. And even if they do, they probably grow it to different degrees in each of those domains. Right. But it took a while, right? Like it, it wasn't like that stuff happened and six months later, I, after it, the car finally burned down, I was doing better. 
but actually I was doing better six months after the car burned down. But a big piece of that was because of the car. It was such an epic moment that I was like, what is, what is my takeaway from this? What does this mean? If I had just gotten a car accident and that was what totaled my car, I think I probably would have gone down a much darker road. But a 50-foot pyre of flame coming off the front of your hood has a different impact on you. <laughs> and I just was like, what's my takeaway? And my takeaway was that I had to stop looking at the awful and start looking at the awesome. And what that led to was sort of a gratitude practice where on Facebook every day, and I still do it most days, but not every day anymore because it's been years and years and years that I've been doing this. But uh, I would post today's awesome colon and then whatever it was. And sometimes it was something huge. Like today, my literally today's awesome was that I found out my work, uh, I presented a, at the International Conference on ADHD in 2018 on my wall of awful model. And that was cited in a, in a master's degree thesis, that workshop. So I'm like, that's pretty cool that I got cited in a master's degree thesis. But other times it's like pancakes for breakfast, you know, like it kind of all over the map with what the awesomes are. But it, each of those domains had some growth for me as a result of that year of, of challenge. And so it's heartening for me to hear that, that most people find post-traumatic growth from a time of challenge. Um, it's also pretty heartening for me to hear that the sort of closer relationships and that connection and appreciation for life and like feeling connected to people who have been through something that you've been through, because potentially this global pandemic has the chance to tie people together a little bit more because we're all going through it. We're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. So maybe that we come at the other end of this feeling a little more connection to our community and our states and our countries and our cities and that sort of thing. But I'm also curious to know about protective factors. What is it that helps people go through a challenging time of their life, whether it's a pandemic or the loss of a job, and come out the other end with these post-traumatic growth domains increased? This is an interesting question you've asked, and you're going to have to bear with me because you talk about protective factors. And usually protective factors are mentioned in the concept of resilience. People who are resilient are relatively unaffected by things. They come out of things well because they um, are kind of prepared for them or they bounce back relatively quickly without a lot of damage. So resilience means kind of getting through relatively unscarred. Post-traumatic growth is different. And this, this may actually be a good thing for most of your audience to appreciate because um, many of us aren't all that, that resilient. <laughs> to experience post-traumatic growth, you're not all that resilient because you're deeply affected by what happens. Otherwise, your core belief system isn't going to be challenged. If your core belief system says, yeah, I get this. I, yeah, no problem. I understand it. I can get through this. Seen this before. You're resilient, and this isn't going to surprise you or shock you or make you question much of anything. But if you're in kind of the, you know, the bell curve where, you know, most everybody is lumped in the middle of, of stuff, that's the area where most of us are, and that's, those are the people who are going to get the most growth. Uh, the people who aren't the Olympic stars of resilience and the people who aren't, on the other hand, just completely unable to manage life, most of us kind of in the great middle ground where we don't have it all figured out and events can take us by surprise and rock our worlds to some degree and force us to reconsider things. 
that's that's where you get most growth. Now, in terms of what factors can help people move towards that growth, um, sort of the growth-enhancing factors, maybe we could say. Those factors, uh, the most important ones are to have people around you that you can reflect on these things with. You can openly discuss what the heck is going on here, uh, how I should respond to it, and what I should believe, and who I am in, this, in, in the midst of all this, and what I can do, and those kinds of questions, and to, to reflect upon those things and have an open discussion about these kinds of things. And to be able to be open about your confusion, and your concern, and your doubts, and your desire to move beyond just surviving this thing to something that might be a better version of your life. That is a hard conversation to have when you're talking to your kid about this stuff. And part of why parents are going to struggle with it, and I know because I've been working with parents this whole time, is, oh my God, mom and dad, shut up and just listen to your kid. Yes. Like, it's not about what you think if you're talking to your kid. It's about what your kid thinks. And your kid is going to say stuff that is uncomfortable. And your kid is going to say stuff that does not align with your core beliefs and your values because theirs are going to be different, especially the younger they are. If they're just creating their core beliefs and creating those core values and figuring that out because they're 10, you need to listen first. And then, yeah, maybe you want to try to put the idea in their head that people are actually usually pretty good. And even though we're not seeing that right now and people seem inconsiderate, if that's what they're saying, wait until they're done. Listen to it through, validate what they're saying, let them express those thoughts, even when what they're saying is uncomfortable for you. Don't interrupt because that's going to undermine their ability to talk to you in general. And then they're going to not have you as their expert companion. Yeah, we we come up with this expert companion model um, as a description of the kind of people who facilitate the growth, growth process. And certainly, as parents, we are in a position to be expert companions to our kids. And by expert companions, we mean, just as you said, good listeners first, companions in this. Guides, yes, but not experts in the sense of telling our kids what to believe or giving them all of what we think the answers should be, but encouraging them in the process of figuring this out and, and being on their own journey in this. You know, interesting thing about this post-traumatic growth concept is that the fundamental idea here is out of loss can come gain, okay? And so there's a paradox in that. Out of loss comes gain. Now, for a kid to get that concept requires a certain uh, amount of cognitive development because that's a paradox. That's dialectical thinking. It's not available to a very young child. As you said, young children are in the process of building their core belief system, figuring out how the world works and who they are and all that good stuff. And research has shown that kids around the age of eight on average start to be able to get this concept of a good thing and a bad thing being somehow able to coexist, that opposites can coexist. We can have rain 
and clouds at the same time, like a sun shower, you know, I mean, rain and sun at the same time, uh, like a sun shower. So, so kids around that age start to be able to grasp this concept of holding two opposites together, that good and bad things can coexist. And, and so they start to become able to grasp the concept of post-traumatic growth around that age. And, and certainly teenagers and young adults are prime for this because they are usually questioners anyway. And they're usually in a formative stage in their adult belief systems. Kids, you know, really start to be, I don't know, they're, they're, they're almost like sponges or something like that when it comes to figuring out what to believe about things at these relatively young ages, especially in, in the teen years. And so as expert companions, especially as parents who are expert companions, encouraging them to talk about this rather than just tell them what to believe and tell them what to do is really important in this process where they can get the most out of it. So one growth enhancing factor is that connection with mom and dad or with peers or an older brother, older sister that can sort of serve as that expert companion to help us process through this. And for adults, us too, we need that as well. And it sounds like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess here because of what we mentioned earlier. It sounds like another growth enhancing factor is something that empowers us to feel as though we have some measure of control and power somewhere, especially if we're helping others in the process. Is that in here somewhere too? Well, let me run through very quickly this process of growth, okay? So uh, one, one part of it is first some knowledge base or education about how trauma affects people. And, and your podcast here, you know, we've, we've done some of that. And the second thing is being able to regulate your emotions a little bit, calm yourself down enough in the, in the aftermath of trauma so you can think clearly and not just be ruminating about, you know, how awful all this is that, that happened to you. A, th- a third part of it is what we just talked about, being able to talk to somebody to disclose about how difficult this is or what you're trying to figure out or what happened to you. Uh, and then the fourth element is to put all that into some kind of narrative or story of your life. You know, the life before all this happened, the life through these traumatic events, and then the life going forward. To, and try to see forward into a future orientation where um, you, you do something with all this that you've gone through so that it gets you somewhere good. And then the fifth part is service. Being able to take all this and use it for the benefit of other people as well as yourself. That are the people in your family, your friends and neighbors, your community, maybe the nation as a whole or the society, whatever it might be, and to turn it into some acts of service where all this that you've gone through that's been so anxiety arousing, confusing, sad, isn't in vain, but it's taught you something that you can use to go forward with. So service is something that really helps people use this, or as you say, make meaning out of it so that it's all not a, uh, just a miserable experience and it's, it's mere suffering. I know that for me, that has been a huge component of how I've been able to navigate this COVID-19 stuff. Having the ability to record this podcast and provide people with something that's helpful and, and useful and having a purpose in that way. By coincidence, the week that my state 
got shut down by COVID-19 and my kids came out of school and all that stuff. That same week, I started running online parent coaching groups for parents affected by ADHD just because that was what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I hope this coaching group model works because this is a very different challenge. And this is sort of the ultimate challenge for what I'm doing. And let's see what happens. And I'm deeply proud and honored to be able to report that they actually worked out really well. It actually, I put a COVID-19 lens over stuff, but I didn't have to make any fundamental changes. Spending so much of the last eight weeks in service to others and supporting others in how to navigate what's going on, whether it's how do I get my kid to do their schoolwork from the kitchen table, or it's my husband wants me to clean the house and I don't know how to clean the house when I'm already doing 48 other things. How do I communicate with him around what I what my needs are and why I can't do that because I'm trying to meet all these other things. Having that opportunity has really helped me not only see that I'm not the only one who is having trouble getting their kids to do homework at the kitchen table and the only one who has a house that's getting a little more cluttered than it should be. It's a lot more cluttered, I'm not going to lie. But it's also given me a sense of purpose and given me a sense of, of drive and meaning in all of this, including just this podcast. There's a part of me that's like, I can't miss an episode of the podcast because if I do, my audience is going to be like, did he die? How come he didn't post a podcast episode? He hasn't missed an episode in like 130 something weeks. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's all mixed up in this. So I'm glad to hear that that, that that is, it sounds like the capstone and it makes sense that that would be the capstone if, if it is, but also that, that other things that I've been championing for a while around connection and making meaning in what you're doing and those sorts of things also play a role. There are a lot of ways for people to kind of locate what they know and what they can do well and what resources they have and to take those things and do something with it that's a benefit to others. And of course, I'm, I'm sure that um, most most of the people in your audience recognize that when they've, when they've done things like that, they end up feeling better. They feel better about themselves. You know, they get a warm sort of sense and often will, will, will think, well, I think I got more out of that than the person who's supposed to have benefited from what I've done. You know, just as an aside, my, my wife told me last night, she's a retired school psychologist. And she's told me about a doctor in town who got up with her and said, there's so many parents who are home with their kids who have ADHD kids who just, they don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to teach them or what to do. Uh, could you call these parents and just kind of consult with them a little bit and help them figure out some ways to help their kids? You know, they've had much more respect, I think, for the teachers <laughs> of their children uh, because they figured out this isn't so easy. So that's a, an act of service, you know, that my wife will do. And, you know, all of us can figure out something to use from our own uh, backgrounds and experience and our resources we have and, and come out of this in the end with a story, with a narrative that says, Remember back in 2020, that was, that was a heck of a time, but look what we did. That, that was a special thing that we did, remember? And to live our family lives with that possibility and that story about how we go through the pandemic will be something that's very valuable. And for parents out there that are like, I don't know what my kid could do for someone else. They're so little. They can draw pictures and mail them to grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, friends. They can write letters if they're past pictures. They can write letters with pictures and mail that stuff out. One thing that I'm going to have my kids start doing is whenever I'm going to go grocery shopping, we have some elderly neighbors and there's no reason why my kids can't walk down the street and knock on their door and say, 
hey, my dad's going grocery shopping. Do you need him to get anything for you? And that way they're contributing. I don't bring them to the supermarket because that's a little overwhelming for the two of them. We did that once and we're not doing it again. And we did it before things really went south. But seeing the empty shelves was hard on them. Those are some smaller things that they can do. And another thing that we'll be doing as soon as it stops raining over where I live for more than two days is uh, just some sidewalk chalk because there's a lot of people walking around and we're just going to make like an obstacle course with sidewalk chalk that says like hopscotch or do five push-ups or spin around in a circle or something to entertain whoever happens to walk down the sidewalk and wants to be entertained. That's a great idea. Thank you. You know, you know, oh, the other thing is that uh, if you ask your kids for ideas, sometimes kids come up with the best ideas themselves. Right. And if, if they don't come up with anything, share the ones I just shared with you and maybe that'll help them think of something. There you go. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I guess I just want to reiterate the whole fact that all of us can serve in some way. In that way, we do make some meaningful change in the aftermath of this. And I think we can also think about what has been changed in our own family lives as a result of going through this that we might want to continue with that have been surprising advantages or enjoyments that we can you know, continue to, to use as maybe new traditions in our families. So there's a lot of good that we can, we can see as a possibility. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.